0: Welcome everyone to this week's edition of Fair Territory. We're gonna start off today talking about the biggest news of the weekend, the first major domino to fall. Aaron Nola, right-handed pitcher, free agent, seven years, $172 million to go back to Philadelphia. Not exactly a surprise, but maybe a little bit of a surprise because the Phillies had not gotten this done in spring training, had not signed Nola to an extension, And as one executive told me, when does Dave Dombrowski not sign a guy that he wants to sign? And it hadn't happened back in March. So obviously it's happened now, and we'll talk about it. It's an interesting move in a lot of ways, as all free agent signings are. And this one, to me, it's a great compliment to the Phillies that Aaron Nola wanted to stay, wanted to be part of that culture. And it's a compliment to Nola as well, who reportedly turned down more money from other clubs but he had the self-awareness to think, okay, you know what, I've succeeded here, I've been a really good pitcher here, I want to be here. Nola is from Baton Rouge, he went to LSU, there was some thought maybe he would prefer to go south, maybe even to the Atlanta Braves, but no, he goes back to the Phillies, 7 one seventy-two. It's a classic Phillies free agent deal under Dombrowski. We've seen this before, Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, deals that are stretched out to lower the average annual value. NOLA's AAV will be 24.6 million. That's only 23rd all time for a starting pitcher. Now it's still really good. I know that 24.6 million a year. Most of us would take it. But in the general scheme of things in the baseball financial world, it is a relatively modest salary. But That's the way the Phillies do it. They want to lower AAVs, to lower their luxury tax burden. And what they're getting, well, frankly, they're getting one of the most durable pitchers in the game. Aaron Nola has been that from year to year, really since the start of his career. And I want to show you just where he ranks among starting pitchers, actually all pitchers, over the last seven seasons in innings pitched. Because this is telling. Gary Cole, well, he's the leader from 2017 to 2023. Nola is second. Cole has him beat by about 46 and a third innings. That's it. Then Patrick Corbin, then Jose Barrios, then Max Scherzer. So really, over the last seven seasons, this has been one of the most durable pitchers in the game. That is why he is getting paid in a very real sense. Obviously, he's entering his age 31 season. You never know how pitchers are going to age. But Nola does a lot of good things. Strikeouts, command, innings pitched. And as Eno Saras said in The Athletic, wrote in our little summary of the deal, and I really liked what he said, Eno said, Nola on a per-game basis is maybe not the guy you want. He's not going to outshine some of the best aces in the game on a per-game basis. But on a per-season basis, yes, Aaron Nola works. He works really well for any team, and that is why he got the impressive deal that he did. Now, every signing creates a domino effect. As you know, the signing team obviously fills a hole, and the teams that do not get the player that they want, well, for them, there is greater urgency. This starting pitcher market is deep, but it's not all that deep, and the demand still exceeds the supply. You might have seen Scott Boris's comments about seven teams needing at least two starting pitchers. That probably isn't the range of accurate I know Boris can be hyperbolic, particularly at this time of year, but it seems to me that there are a number of teams looking for multiple starters. So now the question becomes, for the Braves, where do they turn? Where do the Cardinals turn? Where do all of these other teams that might have had a spot for Aaron Nola go now that he is off the board? And we know who the other top free agents are. It's Yamamoto, it's Snell, it's Gray, there are others as well. We know who the trade candidates are. It's Dylan Cease, it's Corbin Burns, Tyler Glass now, Shane Bieber. But again, there are only so many pitchers to go around, and it's going to be a scramble as we go forward. But at least now, the first domino has fallen. Now, today in The Athletic, I write about another player. Well, he is a starting pitcher when he's not hurt. He also is one of the best hitters in the game. Yes, I'm talking about Shohei Otani. And the story I wrote, well... It's a long story, and it asks the question, what is Otani's free agent value, teams calculating worth, without the answers on his pitching future? And the questions about Otani are not just when he will pitch again, coming off his second elbow ligament repair. The questions are how effective he will be, and even beyond that, how much does he want to continue pitching? How long does he want to continue pitching? Now, his agent, Nez Belelo, is telling teams that Otani wants to remain a two-way player, and there's no reason not to believe him. Otani has made a great effort to become the player he is, that two-way superstar, that rare player in the game's history. At the same time, I wrote in the story that the common belief around the Angels is that he enjoys hitting more than he enjoys pitching, and that coming off a second major elbow surgery... At some point, it's conceivable he might say, you know what, I don't know that this rehab and all of this effort is worth it. So I want to show you a quote that I used in the story from an American League executive. Now, executives are not allowed to comment on free agents. So every quote in this story is anonymous. They're not allowed to comment on free agents because of the collective bargaining agreement, which prohibits it. The reason for that is that when you have executives commenting on free agents, it could depress their value, right? You could say, well, we're out on this guy. That in effect removes one team from the competition and theoretically reduces the competition, reduces the value of the player. But let's go to that quote from the American League executive because it was pretty telling, in my opinion, about the uncertainty that these teams face as they look into Otani. The executive said, I think he will come back I think he will pitch very, very successfully for a period of time. What I need to understand is what is his desire to pitch? How long does he want to pitch at the root of it? I think this guy's a hitter. I think that's what he loves. I don't know how long he wants to pitch and how long he can successfully continue to do that. Now, this story goes into a number of other things, too. The possibility of Otani playing the outfield if he can't pitch what his off field impact to a team's bottom line might be and how that might affect the bidding, how it might compel certain teams to maybe go a little bit higher even maybe compel some teams to go even a little bit higher than they had originally planned. And then I also get into some structures, possible opt out scenarios, all of that. I also make the point that this could take a while and baseball generally likes these big signings to go down at the winter meetings, but they have no control over that. And, There is one line of thought that says, "Okay, teams, if they're going to spend 500 million plus on a player, they're going to want a quick answer because, of course, if they don't get the player, then they want to allocate their resources somewhere else. But the posting of Yoshinobu Yamamoto, which is expected as soon as Monday of this week, that could have an effect on the Otani market. Why? Because Yamamoto will go through a 45-day posting process. It could take that long for him to sign. And it's in Otani's interest, if you think about it, to wait. The team that signs Yamamoto, likely for $200 million plus. This kid is 25 years old. You rarely see a free agent of that age enter the market and of this quality. The teams that miss out on Yamamoto are theoretically going to be on tilt and they may be even more incentivized to go get Otani. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. This is one of the most accomplished players in the game's history. This is one of the most unique players in the game's history, and it stands to reason, and it is playing out before our very eyes. His free agency is one of the most fascinating in the game's history. Some other news over the weekend, and this is one other thing I wanted to get to the non-tendering of Brandon Woodruff by the Milwaukee Brewers. I wrote about this Saturday, and I explained the situation, why he wasn't traded, why the Brewers ultimately felt they had to non-tender him, and their decision was understandable. They didn't want to pay Brandon Woodruff $11 million or so in arbitration when he's coming off shoulder surgery, and chances are will not pitch at all next season. Now, you could have retained him and given him a qualifying offer— and at least recouped a draft pick if he signed somewhere else after next season, but then you're investing another 20 million not knowing what he's going to be in 2025. It wasn't great math for the Brewers. It wasn't great math for any team. And that's why no team tried to trade for him or at least gave the Brewers a worthy enough offer to compel them to make a deal. There were talks, various trade talks occurred, but it was one of those things that really just was a long shot from the very beginning. If a team had traded for Woodruff, yeah, they could assign him to a two-year deal right away, which is ultimately where he probably will land in free agency with a two-year deal. But with time running out on the non-tender deadline, it just became too complicated. Will Brandon Woodruff get a great two-year deal? I'm not sure the money's going to be great, but keep in mind, this is a pitcher whose 3.10 ERA is the lowest in Brewer's history for a pitcher with a minimum of 500 innings. That's amazing. That tells you who Brandon Woodruff can be when he is right. Now, shoulder surgeries are tricky. They're not the same as Tommy John's, which generally have a more predictable rehabilitation. I'll put it that way. At this point in the game's evolution, Tommy John's surgeries... First ones routinely go well. Otani, of course, underwent his second procedure. So you can predict a guy is going to come back in 12 to 18 months, whatever it is. And generally, guys who come off first Tommy Johns do pretty well. Shoulders can be much more difficult to predict, much less linear in the progressions that pitchers make in the rehabs. It's just a tougher thing. So Brandon Woodruff might not be what Tyler Glasnow was coming off his elbow surgery. Glasnow got a two-year, $30.35 million deal, I believe it was. It was over 30. Woodruff might not get that much, but he is Brandon Woodruff. And this is the start for the Brewers of an offseason that is going to be quite interesting. So far, they've non-tendered Woodruff. They've non-tendered Rowdy Tellez. They've traded for Jake Bowers. They still could move. Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas, both of whom are free agents after this season. They could even move Devin Williams, who is up after the 2025 season. I'm not convinced they're going to do all of these things, but as I've written, it might behoove them to do that and surround their young position players with a group of young pitchers that they could acquire in trades and then kind of build their team up again. That would be a retooling. It wouldn't be tanking. It would just be a team saying, okay, we're in a little bit of a difficult spot now. We've got to do some things to correct ourselves or put ourselves in a better position. It wouldn't be for the brewers, a bad way to go. Time now for the inside dish. This is the portion of the show where I go inside a story I might have written inside a trend in the game. And sometimes I go off on a tangent entirely that really has nothing to do with anything. And this is sort of one of those weeks though, What I'm about to say, the rant I'm about to go on, does have relevance. Now, this particular rant, I believe I've gone on before, but I'm going to revive it. Now, I love my job. I love everything about my job. There's just one problem with my job, and it's that it never stops. The baseball world never stops. It never stops in part because there is no set period for free agent signings, no window like you see in the NBA, and the NFL, nothing like that. It also never stops because the people running the teams never stop. They all try to outwork each other all the time. And I trace this back, whether it's accurate or not, I don't know, but it's my story and I'm sticking to it. I trace this back 20 years ago this Thanksgiving. 20 years ago, when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer traveled to Arizona to have Thanksgiving dinner with Curt Schilling and his wife Shonda and try to convince them to come to Boston. Remember, the Schilling trade was a pivotal moment in Red Sox history, and yes, this all worked out really well for the Red Sox, as Red Sox fans remember. Theo and Jed go to Arizona, they get Schilling, and then the following season, they end the curse of the Bambino with Schilling playing a major role. It also worked out great for Epstein and Hoyer beyond that. Red Sox won another World Series in 2007 with those guys running the team. And then they moved to Chicago together, and the Cubs won a World Series in 2016. So everything's good for the Red Sox. Everything's good for Theo and Jed. Not everything is good for the rest of the industry that has been working like dogs on holidays ever since. The rest of the industry now treats every holiday as just another day that ends. in Y. I would not suggest that this is a healthy trend. Now, in all fairness, I'm not sure that there weren't things happening before Theo and Jed along these same lines. Eh, there probably were. But there was a point early in my career, late 80s, 90s, when the sport actually shut down in Christmas time for two weeks. Doesn't happen anymore. You'll see signings right up to Christmas Day, right after Christmas Day, up to New Year's. It happens all the time. But anyway, I'm talking about Thanksgiving here, and I'm gonna show you quite vividly some of my own remembrances and how my Thanksgivings have been kind of affected by the shenanigans of club executives over the years. These are three that I remember in particular, and I will guarantee you there have been others. Let's go back to 2006. The Carlos Lee signing with the Houston Astros. This was actually a Black Friday deal. I've reminded the agent Adam Katz of this many times. I'm spending Black Friday with my family in the Poconos. We had gotten away for Thanksgiving. We thought it would be a good idea. Just one time, just be all together in a place kind of away from home. So we're in this mall on Black Friday in the Poconos, not a great mall, and the news breaks naturally I've got to do a little work. Carlos Lee, hundred million. Congratulations. Black Friday. That wasn't exactly a bargain as it turned out. Let's go now to 2014. I'm living in New York city in a gym in Manhattan on Wednesday night before Thanksgiving when Jesse Sanchez, my good friend and a great reporter, breaks the story that the Diamondbacks had signed Yasmani Tomas for a six year, $68.5 million deal. This one didn't work out so hot either. Well, That was the eve of Thanksgiving, a Wednesday night. I kind of wrecked things on that night. And finally, let's go fast forward to one more. And now we are full-fledged in the age of Twitter. This is Thanksgiving Day. I get a call from a source who says, hey man, do you want to beat your competition or do you just want to sit there on your couch lazily watching the parade? Well, sucker that I am, idiot that I am, maybe you can even say workaholic that I am. I say, well, sure, what's going on? And the source tells me that Sean Rodriguez was signing with the Atlanta Braves, two years, 11 million. That was Thanksgiving Day. It was just a tweet, but that tweet forced a lot of other people to have to work, and it just wasn't good. So this is my annual warning to executives, one that gets ignored every single year. My annual warning to stop it. Enjoy your turkey. Get a life. Just pull back for one day. That is my plea. It is my annual plea. And I'm sure it once again will fall on deaf ears. Time now for the dude and dork of the week. Dude of the week this week, in other circumstances, probably would be Ron Washington. Ron Washington named manager of the Los Angeles Angels last week. He is a favorite of every writer, of everyone in the game. One of the great characters of our sport. It's great to see him managing again. And I look forward to covering Wash, as I always do, whether he's a coach, a manager. Seeing that guy just makes all of our days. So under normal circumstances, yes, Ron Washington would be Dude of the Week and a great choice. But this week, the Dude of the Week can only be one man. Peter Seidler, the late owner of the San Diego Padres. Peter Seidler was just a rare individual. And we had a nickname for him at The Athletic. The nickname was Sunshine. And it was kind of half sarcastic, half affectionate. And we called them Sunshine because Peter was relentlessly upbeat, forever optimistic. Couldn't ask him a question in which he didn't say, hey, no, don't ask me that. All good. We're good. Everything's great. And sometimes we would ask tough questions about their payroll, about their sustainability, maybe about a particular trade, whatever the move might have been. In all my conversations with him, and he was more accessible than almost every owner. In all of our conversations, I can remember him getting upset with me only once. It was December of 2022. I was asking about a financial aspect, and he didn't want me going there, and we kind of got into it a little bit. But by the end of the conversation, everything was fine. We were just talking again. We were talking about baseball, which is what he loved. He would send text messages with a smiley face emoji and a emoji of a baseball. That was his thing and that was something he did. This was sunshine. And for all that he did for that franchise, he needs to be remembered as someone who went about it the right way. And he passed away at only 63. It's too young for a guy like this. Someone so energetic, someone who had so much to give. And I once asked him, hey, Did you do all this for the Padres because, hey, you had been through some health crises. You knew that your time might be short. And he said, no, I did it for San Diego. I did it because I wanted to bring a championship to San Diego. Peter Seidler, you were an inspiration. We lost you way too soon. Peter Seidler, dude of the week. Dork of the week, let's go back to the American League MVP announcement last week. Now, generally when... BBWAA awards are announced, not generally, always when BBWAA awards are announced, that's the Baseball Writers Association of America, the winner of the award holds a conference call with writers who want to ask questions. This happens for every award, every single one, every single year. But when Shohei Otani won American League MVP last week, there was no conference call. We were told there were technical difficulties. Now, as I said on foul territory, I don't know what happened. I don't know how this came about, but whoever was responsible for this, you're the dork of the week and you're the dork of the week because this is a routine thing. And I know Shohei Ohtani has not talked to the media in more than three months, but my goodness, he just won the American league MVP. And what he said on MLB network, no, that's not enough. There were other questions. The writers had questions, the writers who voted him the MVP. Now I know a lot of fans think this kind of thing is silly, who cares, we didn't need to hear him speak, but this is just what is done. And it's not something that's new for Shohei Ohtani. It's the third time he's won a BBWA award, 2018 Rookie of the Year, 2021 MVP, did conference calls. Now I know the questions might've been not to his liking. He he probably would've gotten asked a lot about free agency. Well, it's pretty easy to no comment those kinds of questions. So again, I don't know who's responsible, I don't know who were the people who dropped the ball here, but you're all dorks of the week for not getting Shohei Ohtani on a conference call with writers after winning an award that he received from writers. Time now for grilling Ken, let's get to your questions. From the snorting bull, oh, here we go. With the Rays increasing their payroll north of $125 million, what are the chances that the team keeps class now for the 2024 season McClanahan is going to miss the season, so Glass now can fill that hole, and they can still get a draft pick through free agency next year. Good analysis, Snorting Bull. You're not wrong about any of that. I just have a hard time seeing the Rays keep Glass now when their payroll right now, according to Fangraphs, projects to $126 million. Now, you might say, well, that's not terrible. That's not all that much compared to Yankees, Phillies, Padres, Mets, etc., but for the Rays, it's a huge jump. The highest opening day payroll in team history was 83 million. So they're gonna be 43 million dollars above where they've ever been. I have a hard time seeing it. Glass now is making 25 million next season. One of the reasons they signed him to this deal, this two year, 30 million dollar plus deal when he was coming off Tommy John surgery, was to possibly have the ability to trade him in that second season. High salary, yes, but he's Tyler Glathnow. Pretty darn good pitcher when he's healthy. And I'm sure he will draw a considerable trade interest. Final question. Let's see what we have here. It comes from Jerry Kelly. Jerry's, I believe, been one of our questioners before. And he asks, now that the postseason awards are done, let's start a new one. Who is your selection for best run franchise? Wow, this is an interesting one because you can look at it any number of ways. The team that gets the most for the amount of money it spends is probably Tampa Bay, right? But I would say the best run franchise, and I'll even go with them over some other ones that are equally well run or perhaps as well run. I would say it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. And you can say, well, Ken, they've only won one World Series since 1988 and it was in a short season. What are you talking about? Okay, I get it. But they've... Performed remarkably under the Friedman Dave Roberts regime. They are in the playoffs virtually every year They have one of the best farm systems in the game virtually every year. Yes They have more money no doubt about it, and they generally use it quite well But in terms of putting a competitive winning team on the field every season giving their fans something to look forward to every season no team has done it as consistently well over a longer period than the Dodgers. The Braves have been great, the Astros have been great, other teams too, but the Dodgers, they are right now the landmark franchise, the model franchise, the one that the Mets, for instance, under Steve Cohen, talk about emulating. Thanks for all your questions. Thanks to everyone for listening, for watching. You know where to find us, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Like us, subscribe to us. I wanna wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, a joyous holiday, and I hope with all my heart that while you're eating your turkey, some news doesn't break that disappoints you as a fan of your particular team. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code Foul, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call one 800 GAMBLER.